After a much-needed Christmas and New Year break, the European private equity industry is returning for a fresh year of deal-making. But in a year likely to be shaped by recession, limited access to leverage, and general macroeconomic uncertainty, how are sponsors approaching their plans for new acquisitions and exits? And how can they get creative with generating returns when their usual exit routes are harder than ever to execute? We'll be discussing all this and more on today's episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello, listener, and welcome to this episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. And Happy New Year if you're listening to this in January 2023. My name's Harriet Matthews. I'm funds editor at Merger Market and Unquote, and I'll be your host for today's episode. We're looking forward to having you with us for more episodes as we continue to explore the most important private equity-related topics with our reporters and guest interviewees in what promises to be an exciting year. In our last episode of 2022, we were looking ahead to what's to come in 2023 in terms of fundraising and deal-making. Of course, we didn't have time to cover everything in that episode or in the private equity trend spotter that you can read now on Unquote Emerging Market. So today, we wanted to delve into one of the themes that came up again and again in our conversations with market participants that informed that last episode of the podcast and the trend spotter, namely how auction processes and the very structures of deals are changing in the current environment. So I'm pleased to welcome once again my colleague Rachel Lewis, private equity reporter at Unquote Emerger Market, to explore this topic today. Rachel, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Harriet. Happy New Year to you and all of our Unquote listeners out there. Thank you. Absolutely. And yes, Happy New Year to, to all of our listeners. Thanks for joining us again. Now, I know you've been looking into this topic, kind of looking at auctions and, and just deal structures at the moment. You've been writing about this as well, obviously. What have you been hearing from your sources? Can you give a bit of an overview? Sure. Well, Harriet, wasn't 2022 such a, a weird year for M&A? A year where we all felt the huge drop in deal flow and the start of a kickdown in valuations across the board. Especially in the second half, we published some data on Unquote Emerging Market at the end of last year that showed that deal value plummeted 64% in the second half compared to the same period in 2021. And um, sources tell me that this is fed through to, to quite an overhaul in the way that private equity firms are buying and selling their companies. And to stick with the New Year theme, put it quite simply, bilateral conversations are in and traditional private equity auctions are out. Uh, you know, that's not to say that the, the auctions are dead and never coming back. Although, interestingly, one large uh, one large cap French sponsor did say he's not sure if anybody even runs auctions anymore. But that we, we you know we kind of mean that funds are instead using the time to line up much more credible credible buyers with both parties under much less time pressure pressure than you see in in your normal auction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that's really interesting, and I think emphasizes the importance of our reporting on on all of this. Um, people really need to know kind of what's happening mm. when, if these structures are changing. I'll just jump in because we've seen this happen um, in a in a couple of ways. So um, we've seen bilaterals used to conduct wholesale processes. So um, the vendor goes out and approaches a critical buyer themselves, um, and interestingly, this often ends up with these exits then often end up with trade buyers, um, because in a traditional auction environment, strategics can't typically move at the pace of other financial sponsors. So um, that's where we're seeing bilateral conversations happen across the wholesale processes. 
But then we've also seen bilaterals being used to help conclude a deal where an auction hasn't succeeded. Um, so some parties who probably have been involved in the auction hang on and wait to see what terms and conditions they can come to, uh, where bids haven't been met to see if they can complete a deal. And a good example of this that uh, was recently covered on on Merger Market and Quote is CEE-based sponsor Mid-Europa bought a UK-based iCare group called Optegra from H2 Equity Partners uh, which didn't receive the necessary the necessary bid hurdles in the auction, and then the the buyer and the vendor turned to bilateral conversations after the auction process to kind of get a deal over the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Really interesting. So there are there are concrete examples of of all of this. And why is this happening? What is it about the current environment that's making sponsors and, and advisors kind of approach things differently from how they might have done in the past? It's not. Because they don't want to be buying and selling, um, private equity firms are under a lot of pressure to deploy. They're also under a lot of pressure to make exits because they need to start returning capital to their LPs. But the main issue behind all of this is that buyers are struggling to underwrite, underwrite mid and large cap deals in these really choppy credit markets that we have. And the vendors need to be confident that the financing is already in place before proceeding with a deal and bilateral conversations really help to enable that. There's a, it's, it's weird. There's a bit of a common refrain swinging around at the moment that the dynamic has shifted towards a buyer's market. Well, I don't think that's quite true. Um, you know, buyers can still deploy but they're fighting for a scarcity of assets because sponsors are so reluctant to put them for sale along the you know the traditional route. So it's really neither a buyer's or a seller's market at the moment. Uh, and then there's also you know why this is happening. It it kind of reduces the chance of a, a more public humiliation when sales don't quite go as planned. Yeah, of course, because there, there's much more at, at stake once that's happened. A lot more parties involved, and I guess. As you say, kind of, you know, that there's a so people are saying it's it's more of a, a buyer's market than it previously was. But kind of when it comes to secondary buyouts in particular, for example, I guess that's a, a good example of where it's kind of neither buyers nor sellers because there are, you know, private equity uh, firms are facing the same challenges on on both sides of that kind of buying and selling equation, I guess. What are you hearing that sponsors are doing to kind of get around some of these obstacles to their traditional exit routes? I guess there's, you know, we've we've touched on trade sales, um, IPOs, perhaps we won't spend too much time on. We'll leave that to our ECM colleagues, but um, they'll be sure to keep um, all of you listeners and, and readers involved and, and uh, up to date on, on what's going on there. But yes, yeah, so we've got um, trade sales, IPOs, and then this, this secondary buyout route, which is much more challenging. What, what's happening there? How are, how are sponsors kind of overcoming this? Yeah, like I mentioned, there's clearly a need for liquidity for sponsors to make some kind of exit, especially as we're in an incredibly difficult fundraising environment as well. So, you know, LPs need capital returns that can then go into new funds. But um, all you auction advisors out there don't quite need to quit, run off to Hawaii and open a bar just yet. Uh, we hear private equity funds have been getting quite creative in how they deploy capital. Um, one source told me that anything where the debt is portable is now being explored. So basically anything that is not 
changing, it's not triggering a change of ownership. Yeah. I mean, that kind of brings us to the question of GP-led secondaries, I guess, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. GP-led secondaries are, are a huge, obvious choice at the moment. Um, we, you know, we published a story earlier in the year that GP-led secondaries have almost become the SPACs of 2022. It's something that sponsors are much more actively exploring you know, providing that LPs are seeing a benefit in reinvesting or or either cashing out. And that's one way that, um, you know, almost delays a full exit and ensures that the company can then go for sale when the, the more competitive auction dynamic does come back. Um, and interesting, we're also seeing um, more sponsors actively looking to take minority stakes and sponsors looking to sell minority stakes in their portfolio. So kind of a greater syndication of equity tickets. And that can either be, um, you know, at the beginning of a, of a new buyout or bringing a minority investor in when you've owned the asset for two, three years. This, you know, it helps to bring some new capital into the company. It shows that the company is valuable. And again, you know, that then creates the option of uh, setting it up for a full exit when markets return to normal um, in the future. And, and uh, we've got a good ongoing example of this. Um, GHO has a, a healthcare pharma services asset called Sterling Pharma. Sport sources tell me the sponsors exploring a variety of options that includes probably both a minority stake sale and the transfer of its majority stake to a continuation or uh, one of its new flagship funds. Interesting. And I guess another way to kind of get around that potentially more on the sort of primary or, or fresh buy outside, but um, GPs always have the option, right, of looking for a co-investment when they, you know, come into an asset if it's harder to get that equity ticket um, up to the, the size it needs to be if they've not got the kind of debt portion. Um, I mean, I've, I've been hearing... Um, on the on the co-investment side, um, traditional LPs don't tend to be as involved in that as they previously were. Um, cutting their co-investment exposure is quite a good way to mitigate the denominator effect. Um, so they're not investing as as directly in PE-backed assets, but they can continue their relationships with managers in other ways through through fund investments. That's leaving a bit more space for kind of you know specialized alternative asset managers with dedicated co-investment funds to get involved as well so perhaps not something so much on the the auction side um but maybe worth mentioning just looking at the kind of general dynamics of how can a sponsor you know acquire a company at the moment how can they put in the ticket that they that they need to um to actually make that deal because as you say Rachel they still still want and and need to deploy their capital um they still need to be involved in the market um we always hear that you know at a crisis um, and especially with valuations getting a bit lower it's a good time to buy so it's not a good time to miss out on opportunities either i think the last time we saw kind of a debt market freeze was not too long ago in the the covid in the covid crisis and sponsors came up with some pretty interesting ways to to navigate that yeah, absolutely. I mean, on the smaller deals, obviously, um, earnouts were potentially an option when things were a bit uncertain. They could go in all equity with with that. Um, we also saw people doing all equity on, you know, slightly larger deals where possible. And in fact, in the current environment, there are examples of this as well. So 
back in December, our colleagues at DebtWire were reporting on um, April Group and the fact that KKR had begun to approach lenders um, to secure debt financing for this deal. Um, that followed a 2.3 billion euro all equity takeover. So, you know, that that is one one way as well that they can look to address this. 100%. And, um, you know, I think we need to say, don't worry, folks, auctions will come back. It's just a case of um, when, not if. And I think people tell me that that will largely be when credit market returns. So let's see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, a case of, of wait and see, but I think a good way to to kick off the year with a discussion of, of something that a lot of our, our listeners will be kind of keenly interested in and involved with. So thank you, Rachel, for taking the time to, to speak to me about all of this. I think we can wrap it up there. So thank you, Rachel, again for, for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much, Harriet. It's always good to be here. Great. And um, thank you, of course, to you, listener, for tuning in again. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you again in the next episode.